gospel for this third Sunday in Lent comes from John chapter 2. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As you may already know, we at Holy Spirit are spending this Lenten season talking and thinking together about what it looks like to build peace in the world by first building peace within ourselves. As fractured as our world seems to be, God continues to call us, as God has always done, into the work of building justice and peace. But what that actually looks like on a day-to-day basis is sometimes hard to figure out. And so we are trying to put some flesh and bone on what that actually is. The steps that we are talking about are printed in the bulletin, so you'll find them there. And over the past two Sundays, we've looked at the first two. The first step of stopping ourselves before a difficult conversation or interaction with someone, stopping long enough to breathe, to remember who we are, to center ourselves in the love of God for us and the other person, and then to begin. The second step, which we talked about last week, is called active listening. And that basically means to stop the thing we all do all the time, which is, instead of actually hearing the person talking to us, to spend a conversation gearing up for the next thing we are going to say when it's our turn to talk. Active listening is at the top of the list of things that are easier said than done. So today's the third task, to inquire, to ask questions. And at first glance, this seems like a perfect fit for just about any story about Jesus, because asking questions is one of Jesus' favorite things to do. Surely we can rifle through any of the four Gospels and just randomly put our finger on a story where Jesus thoughtfully, having centered himself and listening carefully, asks a question. Let's remind ourselves of the actual story before us today, a story in which Jesus marches into the temple during a high holy season, creates a whip out of cords, drives people and animals out of the temple, and then proceeds to flip over the tables of the money changers, kind of like a bad reality show. The only people asking the questions in this story Not Jesus, but the Jewish worshipers who are trying to understand what on earth this man is doing. 
This may be the story, maybe the only story in all the Gospels where Jesus does precisely zero of the things that we are talking about during Lent. He does not appear to center himself. He doesn't really listen to anybody, and he asks no questions. It seems that in this story, Jesus is angry, and he does not hold back about it. Chances are, even if you tried your very best to build inner peace this week, at some point in the week, you failed. You centered yourself and you took deep breaths and you still yelled at the guy who cut you off in traffic. You listened carefully to the other person who was speaking to you, but you still rolled your eyes and made a sarcastic remark. You yelled at your kids. You grumbled insulting remarks under your breath while watching the news. The phrase, those people, came out of your mouth at least once. You slammed a door, drank a little bit too much wine, blamed someone else for something that you know was your fault, or in a thousand small ways, failed to be the person you started out the week trying to be. Maybe you didn't flip over tables. Maybe you did. Either way, what now? What happens when none of this works? What happens when we are too afraid or anxious or sad to be people of peace? Or what happens when the injustices in front of us are so great that we can't figure out what else to do? This story of Jesus turning over the tables of the money changers in the temple is one of the few stories that does appear in all four Gospels. In three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this story happens at the very end of Jesus' ministry. And in fact, it's one of the things that is kind of the last straw. It's the thing that makes the religious authorities decide this Jesus has to go. He's too disruptive. He's too dangerous to stay around. And after this, they decide to crucify him. In those Gospels, Jesus is mostly protesting the system of selling animals that made it impossible for poor people to participate in that ritual, which was at the heart of their religious life and their experience of God. In John's Gospel, which we read today, this rowdy event doesn't happen at the end. You might have noticed that we're only in chapter 2. This happens at the beginning. And in John's Gospel, the reason for Jesus' reaction seems to be a little different. He's angry, and he's angry about the corruption at the temple. But it's not just that. Jesus isn't just pointing out corruption. He's also pointing out a different holy place altogether. Not a building, but a person. Not a ritual, but a way of life. Destroy this temple, he says, I'll raise it up in three days. Pretty sure he's not talking about the building anymore. So what does that have to do with us? First, according to all four biblical stories of Jesus' life, there is a place for what we might call righteous anger. There are times when injustice is so large and the impact of it so immediate that we have to act quickly even forcefully, even disruptively, to bring about change. 
We can do that in a peaceful way, but we cannot wait. In 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. was imprisoned in Birmingham, Alabama for participating in civil rights demonstrations there. While he was in jail, a group of liberal Alabama clergymen who claimed to support the cause of civil rights published an open letter to Dr. King in which they asked him to stop the nonviolent protests and demonstrations in their city. They told him that although they supported his cause, they felt that his timing was bad and that he needed to refrain from disruption and let the courts decide. They told him that the demonstrations in Birmingham were creating too many divisions, that he as an outsider coming into the city was not fair. He shouldn't participate. They told him to wait. They meant well. In response, Dr. King wrote a letter of his own, which you can read. It's called Letter from a Birmingham Jail. And among other things, he says to his fellow pastors, we know from painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Frankly, I have never yet engaged in a direct action movement that was well-timed, <laughs> according to the timetable of those who have not suffered from the disease of segregation. For years now, he says, I have heard the word wait. This wait has almost always meant never. When it comes to injustice, even in the temple, even in the religion itself, Jesus will not wait. Whether this table-turning story happened at the beginning or the end of his ministry, nobody in power thought it was well-timed. Nobody applauded his act of civil disobedience and protest, except maybe the poorest ones. But they had to hear about it later because they weren't allowed to be there in the first place. There are times to act boldly and maybe even ask questions later. The same story, though, reminds us of something else, too. For Jesus' own people, his own tradition, the Jewish tradition of the day, the temple was the meeting place between God and God's people. It was holy. It was the place where human life and divine blessing met. Now, the body of Jesus is that new holy place. It's John's gospel, after all, that tells us the word has become flesh and lived among us, and it is not content to stand still. In Jesus, God is on the loose, moving around, challenging us, comforting us, calling us, which means that it's messy, as human life always is. And this confrontation in the temple was a mess. However, since finding ourselves in the middle of a mess that we ourselves have created is pretty much a daily part of human life, then maybe we can take comfort and courage from the, knowing that Jesus, too, experienced exactly that. Because the further we press into this work of building peace in ourselves, 
the more important it is to be honest that sometimes we are going to fail at it. And sometimes the injustice and the wrongs that we face are so damaging and immediate that we can't wait. We can't stop long enough that we have to confront them. So maybe the biggest question to ask today is, what then? It says right in the bulletin that our third step of inquiring is to ask questions, to seek the other person's truth, and to find your shared humanity. Find the place where you and the person you're talking with meet. Asking questions about this story leads us to our shared humanity with Jesus. And in Jesus, we see that God is so completely committed to human life as to become human in Jesus and experience the broken and messy and beautiful thing it is to be human. These steps can make building peace sound pretty easy, but we all know it's not. And at some point in this Lenten season, we will all fail at it. Either because we don't have the courage to speak out or we don't have the patience to listen. Either because we will spend our time instructing other people on how they are wrong, one of my favorite pastimes, instead of asking questions to learn something new. We will at some point forget who we are and whose we are. And we will forget that the other person is just as beloved to God as the person we see in the mirror. And none of that is reason to give up. None of it is reason to stop. We will fail and we will be forgiven. And that frees us to try again, to listen, to breathe, to stop, to ask and try again. In the back of your bulletin on page 15 is the hymn that we are going to sing at the end of worship. Between the first verse and the last, I think are the two things that hold this story together. And I want to invite you to read together verse 1 and verse 4. We'll simply read it as if it's a poem so that we can really hear the words and when it comes time to sing, you will have heard them once before. Because somewhere in these two is the challenge and the beauty of the story of Jesus in the temple. So let's read together. May the anger of Christ be mine when the world grows hard and greedy, when the rich have no care for the poor, when the powerful take from the needy. In a world of restless change, standing for love and faith and justice, in a dark, confusing time, bearing the light, the shining light of Christ. May the actions of Christ be mine, bringing hope, bringing new direction, making peace in a warring time, offering welcome, not rejection. In a world of restless change, standing for love and faith and justice, in a dark, confusing time, bearing the light, the shining light of Christ. May we indeed bear that light to the world. Amen.